hear today's lesson text from the Gospel of Mark, the 10th chapter, verses 46 through 52. Jesus and the disciples came to Jericho, and a large crowd were leaving Jericho with him, and Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, a blind beggar, was sitting by the roadside. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy upon me. And many, many sternly ordered him to be quiet. But he just cried out even more loudly, Son of David, have mercy upon me. And they called the... Jesus stood still and said, Call him over here. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he's calling you. So throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. Then Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, My teacher, Rabbi, let me see again. And Jesus said to him, Go, your faith has made you will. And immediately he regained his sight and followed him on the way. Let us pray. O Lord our God, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Give us grace to receive your truth in faith and love, that we may be obedient to your will and live always for your glory. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. So to understand today's text, we actually have to turn back to the book of 2 Samuel, the fifth chapter. Now, to sum up Israel's history in a few words is always a dangerous task, but I think it has to be done because there is a stereotype in the American Christian mind about the history of Israel. We, I think because it just becomes part of the internet fodder of complaints about religion, we tend to think that the conquest of Jordan was a lot more successful than it was. A lot of those verses where and I can't get into that topic today, but a lot of those verses where God tells them to wipe out the tribes that are inhabiting Cana as the Israelites come in, a lot of those verses are kind of hindsight. Because Israel, as soon as it gets into the Promised Land, doesn't. And it is many of those tribes that they spare, be it Saul sparing another king because it's a king and disobeying God, or many of the other times that they spare the other nations, come back to bite them. And in fact, it is not until David. So you've had the whole book of Judges. You've had the king, Saul. You've had all sorts of history past. It's not until King David that Jerusalem even becomes the capital of the Jewish people. So you have this whole section of the Old Testament. They haven't even taken Jerusalem yet. They've been dwelling in the plains, but Jerusalem is a fortified city, and they haven't quite had what it took to take it. So in 2 Samuel chapter 5, David comes to conquer the city of Jerusalem. So here are these words from 2 Samuel 5, verse 6. The king, David, and his men marched to Jerusalem against the Jebusites, 
the inhabitants of the land, who said to David, You will not come in here, even the blind and the lame will turn you back, thinking David cannot come in here. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion, which is now the city of David. And David said on that day, Whoever would strike down the Jebusites, let him get up the water shaft to attack the lame and the blind, those whom David hates. Therefore it is even said, The blind and the lame shall not come into the house. When Jesus is passing Jericho, he is entering the crummy suburbs of Jerusalem. Jericho was a rather rough way to go, and it was full of bandits, but it was a very popular way to go because it was just the only way to get there. We all know cities like that. And it is a unique prophetic moment when Barnabas mentions something that the Gospel of Mark has been quiet on up until this point, when he says, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy upon me. We've looked at the Gospel of Mark from the hopefully open-minded position of what does it mean to be the Son of God. And we've had many different ways Mark has shown that in Jesus' healing, in Jesus' preaching the Gospel. This is the first time that Mark introduces any sort of messiahship that's tied to the promises made to David in the Old Testament. But it's very, very subtle, and it draws a big contrast between David and Jesus. We even see it in verse 48. Many sternly ordered Bartimaeus to be quiet, but he cried out even more loudly, Son of David, have mercy upon me. David, when he took the capital of Jerusalem, was told by the Jebusites there, <laughs> you can't do it. Even our blind and our lame will defeat you. And it became a saying in David's war camp that his main enemies were the blind and the lame. Here, we even see in verse 48 that many are ordering the blind and the lame to be quiet in front of Christ, in front of this Messiah. But Jesus shows the difference in that sonship and the difference between David and himself when he calls the beggar to him in verse 49. And we see Bartimaeus' reaction to this in verse 50 when he throws off his cloak. That is him leaving the cloak that he spread upon the ground to receive his alms. This is such a change in Bartimaeus's life and outlook. He even leaves his, his alms that he's earned from being blind because he knows he's not going to need it anymore. And that's why Christ can say to him, Go, your faith has made you well. This blind beggar very much expected Jesus to heal him. But this is an important verse because we are setting up for chapter 11, which will be Palm Sunday. Mark here, and Bartimaeus is doing it prophetically, by bringing up the image of the Messiah, is turning his culture's expectation around. Many expected the Messiah to be the one who would come and restore Jerusalem, 
build it up, make it the heavenly city. And they felt that through Jerusalem expanding worldwide influence, that would be how Utopia and the Millennium would come. Everyone under their power. Christ here, though, comes in the prophetic mode, and being the son of David comes in the mode of a conqueror. In this action of healing Bartimaeus, this son of David that Mark is, is, is here using shows Jesus as a conqueror and shows those religious authorities that live in Jerusalem to be the true Jebusites. It even draws into contrast the ways in which they will in the future mock Christ and heal others, let him heal himself. And it just shows the contrast that, that Jesus is drawing between himself and the religious authorities of the day. Jesus is a healer of the blind, a healer of the lame. Well, so many in Jerusalem are those that cast out the blind and the lame to beg on the streets of the terrible city of Jericho, which I would remind you in the Old Testament is torn down and only rebuilt at the price of a curse. So this is the background Mark puts when we get to next week's reading on Christ coming in with a donkey as a conqueror. Jesus is very much throwing down the messianic glove on this one. And I think it is also showing that, well, Jesus is healing the physical blind, the physical lame, that that curse in Samuel 5 is not completely dead. Because the saying in 2 Samuel 5 verse 6 is, Therefore it said, The blind and the lame shall not come into the house. Christ is here in healing Bartimaeus, also making a bit of a declaration that those who will not see his messianic status. You will not see those changes coming in the gospel he is preaching, as Luke puts it, will be cast outside to where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's an interesting little vignette that Mark gives here. This is the final miracle that Jesus is going to work in the gospel of Mark, and where we looked last year at Jesus' preaching and the fact there was always a, a healing after a section of preaching that kind of reinforced the whole message. Here, Bartimaeus is the start, is the whole message that is going into the cross at Jerusalem. The implication being, of course, to the early church that they were blind. They did not notice who Christ was. And that in and of themselves and their own power, they were lame. They could not work through themselves, but needed the Holy Spirit to work through them. Now the question is, is this is one of those sermon topics that is very, I guess you'd say, theological and prophetic. It's, it's something that happened in David's life that Jesus fulfills. Bartimaeus is saying things that have been preordained and showing forth Christ through history. How do we apply this to today? Well, I think it is 
in general keeping. But there are different ways to be blind. There are those who, though they do not see, seem to gather other senses. Bartimaeus, as he was sitting there begging, surely had better hearing than a lot of us. He heard the rumors that went around, he heard the stories of this Jesus that was going, and he took them into his heart. He took them into his heart to the point that when he heard Christ was coming, he could even leave the money. Leave that thing which, for many of us, is one of the biggest dividing lines in our discipleship. He could leave that, get up with faith, and ask Christ to heal him. And so when his eyes are opened, it's not the... Yes, there's the physical gaining of sight, but Bartimaeus is proven here to have not been a blind man at all anyways. Now in contrast to that, though, there are those who told Bartimaeus to stay away. There are those who threw him out on the street in the first place. They have been able to see their whole lives. But they do not recognize in Christ the Son of God. They don't recognize in his message the words of life and salvation. And ultimately, as they condemn him to death on Good Friday, they prove just how blind they are until the Gospel of Mark in Finally answering the question of who is the Son of God, the pagan Roman, trembling on his spear, will say, truly this was the Son of God. We, each and every one of us, run the risk of falling into what one of the other Gospels sums up very clearly with the verse, if you had said you did not see, you would have been innocent, but because you said, I see, proving yourselves blind and guilty. Today's application is a general call to not trust your eyes. We live in a culture so much on the, if I see it, I will believe it. Bartimaeus didn't see anything, yet he believed it. Those Pharisees and those enemies of Christ looked right at him and saw the very things that he did. There is never in the New Testament a case where the Pharisees are like, Hey, Jesus, you didn't actually just heal that guy. The point is, they saw it and it didn't matter. One of the things that is a challenge to disciples, and I always like to gently hint at, is for a great many of us, the truth is that if we did see it, it would not matter. There's a great many people out there who say, well, if God just showed up and did this thing, then I would be a believer. No, my friends, I'm sorry, that is often not the case. Searching our own hearts and finding out why that may be so behooves us greatly. I'll leave you with a final illustration because I have, with the reopening of things, come back to one part of ministry that is unpleasant. With COVID, I couldn't really visit the dying. And I'm not a chaplain for a very good and important reason. <laughs> I sometimes have a little bit of a roughness around the edges. 
One of the differences between Protestant and Catholic theology is the final absolution. There's this sense in Catholic theology that your final like, stance, that final moment is decisive. And if you're on this side of confession, you're good. If you're not, you're bad. And I think a lot of Protestants carry with them the same sense of a deathbed confession. I'm going to live life however I want when I finally get to the end. That's what I'm going to give my life to Jesus and Lord, drop kick me through the pearly gates. The reason I, I, I'm a, a bad candidate to be a chaplain in some senses is I wouldn't trust the deathbed confession very much. You are faced with the fact that in so giving, you confess that you have always known. You've known God has been a Savior. You've known He's been the Lord. And you have knowingly disobeyed. You've, in coming to the end and giving this confession, proving just how spiritually blind you are. Because all you are doing is saying, Lord, I haven't been paying attention to you, and now I'm hoping you're dumb enough to let me in. Now, in that situation, it is better for you to use the words of the Russian spiritual song, My Sinful Soul, Why Won't You Weep? There is an effective bomb even in that final moment, and it is not to try to figure out that I'm the smart one who has faith at the end. It is to trust in that very vision of Christ and who He is. Too many of us go through our Christian lives blindly trying to trust our own ability to faith through it. Well, if I have faith, if I force faith, I'll get healed like Bartimaeus did. That even becomes a pitch some pastors use. But if we truly have eyes to see who Christ is, we realize that faith is the means by which we are grafted into Christ. Faith is the means by which we get the gifts that Christ gives, but it is not the gift itself. Christ is something greater. Christ is something beyond what we just see. He is that reality that even the blind man Bartimaeus can grasp. So for those who come to those final moments of fear, the reason I can be a good chaplain in some sense is because I am not promising to them that if they can figure out a way to make themselves feel guilty or bad for the things they've done in their life, they now get out, get a, get out of jail free car. That has never been the point. The point has always been who Christ is, who he was, and who he will continue to be. A gracious Lord that heals the blind, even ourselves. And in those moments where we feel ourselves very far from Him, the safest confession a Christian can ever make is, Lord, I am blind. Heal it. For Christ will show Himself as He does with Bartimaeus to be the healer of the blind. It is only those who, like these Pharisees in the book of Mark, at the end, who say, we see, and try to claim these things so positively that ultimately, forces them to reject the Messiah, that condemnation lays. Let us 